In both the first reading and the gospel today, uh, we hear descriptions of a mystical experience. That is, when the physical senses could perceive in some mysterious way spiritual realities, whether it be Abraham seeing these, uh, the fire passing between the split halves of the offerings, or Peter, James, and John seeing the Lord's face uh, illuminated by a kind of spiritual light. And throughout the church, that uh, mysticism has not died away. Even today, there are those who, in the church who have vo- heard the voice of Christ uh, speaking at, to the ears of their hearts. Uh, and throughout the church, uh, saints have been able to hear, see, taste, and even touch the Lord uh, in a mystical way. Uh, one of the most striking examples uh, of this mysticism we find in the life of uh, a young girl uh, from the Italian city of Siena, whose name was Catherine. Catherine's first mystical experience happened when she was about seven years old. Uh, she was sent to run errands with her older brother, who was supposed to kind of keep watch over her. And as they were returning home, uh, they came to the brow of a hill, and their house was kind of uh, down in the valley. And over the next hill uh, was the, the great uh, Dominican church in the city of Siena. And over the roof of that church, as Catherine looked up uh, to the sky, she saw the Lord. Uh, sitting on a throne, dressed as the popes of the Middle Ages were dressed, and surrounded by uh, the court of his saints. And as she looked at him uh, intently, the Lord raised his hand in blessing and gave her a a priestly blessing from on high as she saw him there. And that image stayed with her her whole life. Uh, She turned away from the, the vision she had as her brother kind of tugged on her sleeve, and she, she felt sorry about that the, the whole rest of her days. Uh, but her mystical experiences uh, returned throughout her life, uh, even with increasing frequency. Many of them came in uh, kind of direct relation to her service, especially to the poor and the sick. Uh, she served for quite a few years in a hospital uh, in Siena, and then uh, the plague was ravaging Europe. Medical care was not what it is today, and she had to deal with some pretty disheartening and disgusting circumstances. And then, as now, uh, nurses deal with difficult patients. Uh, And in this case, in a particular case, as Catherine was caring for a lady named Andrea, this lady was the most difficult of patients physically and emotionally for Catherine. She was always nagging and complaining but also she suffered from cancer of the breast, and her flesh was slowly rotting away, and the stench was nigh unbearable. Catherine was the only one who would, who would see her, uh, but, and this lady eventually, uh, despite her, her life of, of nagging and complaining, uh, eventually died uh, in God's grace, or so Catherine hoped, and she prayed fervently Uh, that although during the whole life, during her whole relationship with this patient, the patient had tried her patience, she prayed fervently that she would receive some sign uh, that Andrea had reached heaven, that she was forgiven by God, or at least that her sins were forgiven and she was on the way, that she was in purgatory. And Catherine, in response, received a vision in which she saw the soul of the patient she had cared for, and she described it like this. I cannot find anything in this world that can give you the smallest idea of what I have seen. Oh, if you could see the beauty of a soul in the state of grace, you would sacrifice your life 
a thousand times for its salvation. And an angel accompanied her in the vision, and uh, she says, I asked the angel who was with me what had made that soul so beautiful. And he answered me, It is the image and likeness of God in that soul, and the divine grace which made it so beautiful. This is a heartening thing to hear. If our souls, uh, like this lady's, uh, Andrea, are in the state of grace, we have this to look forward to after our death. And if our souls, if the soul of a petty, sinful, fallen creature could attain so much beauty, imagine the beauty that must have radiated from the face of the Lord as he was transfigured on Mount Tabor. The beauty of a, of a human soul that had never sinned, uh, that was united perfectly with the second person of the Trinity, with the Son of God. That would indeed be an unspeakable, unspeakable beauty. Now, I believe it's important for us to reflect on these kinds of experiences, not because the Lord wants all of us to have them. Certainly, he, he picks and chooses a few uh, to suffer mystical experiences because they do involve a great amount of suffering, and most of us uh, couldn't, couldn't bear that strain. But, but we, we, it does us profit to reflect on them because it reminds us uh, that the world we experience every day is, is not the ultimate reality for which we are made, uh, but rather that the Lord is preparing us for, to use the phrase, a new normal uh, after our death, uh, in which we will see his, his glory uh, face to face, that for which we were in fact created, uh, to walk with God as Adam did in the garden uh, so long ago. And instead, though, uh, instead of bearing that in mind, too often we match the description, uh, the caustic description that St. Paul used in the second reading. Uh, their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is their shame. Their minds are occupied with earthly things. And for us to turn our minds and our hearts from the things of earth to the things of heaven takes a constant conversion of life. And in fact, it takes penance, and it takes our Lenten observances year after year to slowly and with great effort shift our minds from the things of earth to the things of heaven. I've heard our physical desires, I think, very aptly compared uh, to little children. A little child wants uh, what he or she wants when he wants it, and, and has to be told no so very often uh, to be lifted from the desire for like jelly beans and Kool-Aid, right, the most basic uh, physical pleasures, to anything else. And just like a small child, our physical desires will make us sick if they're constantly satisfied. If we constantly simply satisfy ourselves, uh, we will not only be miserable, stuck with the basest of pleasures our whole lives, but in fact sicken our souls uh, by the constant choice of what is not actually good for us. And so over and over again, uh, just like a toddler has to be told probably 2,000 times a day, no, our souls, our desires have to be told over and over again, no, for us to be transformed uh, in order to desire higher things. And this is as true on the, the most basic level, to go from liking Kool-Aid to a fine wine, as it is on the highest level to go from having God for our, our stomach, for our God, our minds occupied with earthly things, to turning our minds to the things of heaven. 
And to do that uh, requires uh, the practice of, of a monkish exercise described by a monkish phrase, the mortification of the senses. That is, submitting our desires and our senses, taste, smell, sight, touch, hearing, uh, to penance. Uh, during Lent, we often give up something for the sense of taste, but we could do the same uh, with music or media for he the hearing and the sight. We could do the same uh, that we do for taste with all of the five senses. The only <laughs> I have never tried a mortification of the sense of smell. I suppose you parents uh, have mortified your sense of smell in the changing of diapers. Uh, but we also know that St. Catherine of Siena uh, deliberately mortified her sense of smell as she cared for these patients uh, in, the, in the hospitals in which she worked. In one case, she was almost overcome, and she knew that day after day she would be unable to continue caring for the patients in her charge. And uh, one patient in particular, uh, afflicted with terrible sores, the, the smell and the sight was nearly overpowering. And she knew that the next day, she would not have the strength to return. And she was consumed with anger at herself that she could be so weak uh, as to want to abandon one of God's creatures, uh, rather just in favor of her, her basest physical passions, her desire to avoid, avoid pain. She had been bathing uh, this woman's sores uh, with a, a sponge or a cloth and wringing out that sponge into a bowl of water. And she thought that she could once and for all kill her, her uh, passions and, of, and her desire to avoid uh, stench and disgusting things. So she took this bowl in which she had been rinsing the cloth, take, took a good look at it, gave it a smell, screwed up her courage, and then swallowed the whole thing down. She was never again afflicted with disgust in serving her patients. And in her next mystical experience, she was given by God to drink from the fount of all delights, uh, the body and blood of the Lord herself, and to taste those things as they are, which, in fact, is what we do at every Mass. And the Lord calls us to see him, radiant with glory, pouring forth water and blood from his side in every Mass, and calls us, in every time we receive the Eucharist, to drink from that stream of all delights. But to do so, we need to return constantly to the penance that the Lord calls us to, to convert our souls and our hearts, to mortify our passions, so that one day we can turn to be occupied with the things of heaven. For our citizenship is in heaven, as St. Paul said, and from it we also await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. For he will change our lowly bodies to conform them with his glorified body, by the power that enables him also to bring all things into subjection to himself.